around scripture again this morning, Old and New Testament, so go ahead and open your Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You can use that one, or uh, our app has a Bible built into it. You can open that up, or uh, version or any other electronic, or you're just plain old, beautiful paper Bible. You can do that as well. Uh, you go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be there in, in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to ask... Um, I'm going to ask that you uh, dial in right now just for, you know, a handful of minutes. I know there's a lot of distractions, a lot of things going on in life, etc. Um, but let's make sure we uh, center ourselves on what God wants to say to us uh, as we uh, jump into this. I want to I ask you to think of what is your favorite place to be. Like if you were to transport yourself to a place right now, uh, it might be the cabin for the Montanaris. I, I wouldn't mind transporting myself there. Um, but maybe it's grandma's house. You, you picture it and you're like, oh, sit in her living room and the fire's going. Or, or maybe it's um, a place where you go on vacation a lot. There's a, there's a fishing dock and there's a lake. Or, or maybe it's up on the slopes and you're like, oh, that, that is my favorite place. It's just if I could transport myself there. Maybe it's the library, any of you? We had one in the first service. We, you've never read, have you? Okay. Um, we had one person who said their favorite place in the world was the library last service, and we still love her. Um, but I, I want you to think about right now, I've been studying the city of Prague. How many of you have ever been to Prague? Anybody? All right. So yeah, more people than in the first service. So you're going to really appreciate this. So the city of Prague is a beautiful, beautiful place, and, and uh it is known for its age-old beauty, its ancient architecture, and, and just its colors. And Czech experts will tell you that they have an abundant amount of beautiful old buildings. Can we hit those lights again? Cody, you're the man. Can we give it up for our tech team? Man, they're like Donnie on the spot here. So they have all these beautiful old buildings. We're going to show you a couple of slides. We'll just rotate through uh, those uh, throughout these old buildings, and they're preserved. They can go back to ancient castles and cathedrals and all these just rich, rich historical buildings. And they're beautiful with colors and, and different points of, of history and stuff. And what's interesting is these are preserved in a pristine manner because every time there's a potential for war, they give up. Every time there's, a, there's even a rumor about a bombing, like, hey, you know, you either cooperate with us or we're going to invade the city of Prague, we're going to bomb the heck out of it, and you'll be annihilated. And they go, we give up. They put their hands up and they protect this city. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. And because of that, their churches and cathedrals and castles can still be seen all throughout the city of Prague. And if you go to Prague, not only can you enjoy the beauty of the city, but there's a brand new thing that you can enjoy that I learned about this week. There is a brand new, well, not brand new in the last couple of years, there's a new tour that's called the Corrupt Tour. The Corrupt Tour. Now, how many of you are super excited to go do that? Some of you are like, I feel bad about it, but I actually do want to go, <laughs> all right? So there's this corrupt tour. If you go to Prague, you can not only enjoy its beauty, but you can go on the corrupt tour. They will take you to places throughout the city where significant corruption took place. 
You can pay money, and statistics say they have a waiting list that you can go pay them money, they'll put you in a little bus and they'll drive you around and they'll say, hey, here's where a beautiful children's hospital that was gonna care for all the people, but the, the city leaders took all the money and ran. So corruption. But this, picture it, it would have been beautiful. And then they'll come over here and go, here's where an unbelievable school that was gonna educate all the kids, but the, the officials stole all the money and, and they pocketed it all and, and left the country. So, but this is where it was gonna be beautiful. And they will literally walk you around town. You can look at the website yeah, on your own if you're kind of a twisted person and want, want to see all the nasty stuff that they take you to. But this tour will literally take you around and show you not the beauty of the city of Prague, but it will show you corruption. It will show you filth. It will show you darkness. And the creator's intention with this tour was to show that just because something is negative or corrupt or dark or disgusting doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Think about that. Think about how that maybe relates to today. Just because we can agree that something's wrong doesn't necessarily mean we can't enjoy it, right? Wink, wink. Sounds a little bit like sin. On the surface, the world's corruption might appear entertaining, might look appealing even. And yet, if we take a, a closer look, corruption and sin and darkness isn't entertaining. It's actually not a laughing matter. It's awful. But the world we live in highlights it. This movie star did this, this athlete did this, they used to sleep with this person, now they're with this person, and we follow it. Not only do we follow it, there are TV shows that help us to follow it. There are magazines that help us follow it. We can read the dirt. We can read the corruption. It's almost like a car accident. We don't want to look, but how many of you actually get up to the car accident finally? If you're on the 25 and you're way backed up and you finally get to it, how many of you just drive by and don't look? Some of you. Most will glance. Most will stare. Even though we know it's bad, even though we know it's destructive, there's something not right but that's the way the world does it. And the city of Prague is making a dollar off of taking us around corruption. Our world will tell us that sin's glamorous, but it lies. Sin is disastrous. Your corruption, my corruption, have fed the corruption that we live in today. We don't like to think that, but your sin, my sin, we bring sin into this world, and so we affect what we live in. That's why Jesus came. He came to save us from our sin. In fact, that's what his name actually means. The English name Jesus is Yeshua, and it means the Lord saves in Jewish tradition. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. We're in week 2 of a new series called Christmas Hope. We're looking at the names that were given to this baby, all of which point to and further explain the hope that's found in Christmas. 
And so that's what we're looking at. And last week we began by looking at the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Meaning that Christ is God by merely him coming as a baby, that God is not only with us, but he's for us. So even when we think we're alone, even when we think all the odds are stacked against us, we can rest assured that God is not only with us, he's for you. He's your biggest advocate. He's your biggest cheerleader. He is the one when no one else believes in you, he does. And this morning we look at the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He literally brings light into darkness. And so let me begin by reading this passage that we read actually last week as well. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Remember, we uh, unpacked the idea that to be pledged was actually to be engaged. It was a legally binding contract and that Jesus came about not by man and woman, but by means of God himself. And so uh, that has huge implications as we move forward. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her, again, here we see it, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This morning, we're looking at three disastrous effects of sin of why Jesus came. Now, the reason why I preface this morning on, I want you to stay with me is because we are gonna hit some head knowledge aspects, but we are gonna hit some absolute fundamental aspects of how we live life every single day. Unbelievably critical because here's the prominent uh, point of this morning. We wouldn't need a baby if there wasn't hell. We wouldn't have needed Jesus if there wasn't hell and damnation waiting for those without him. That is an unbelievable preface for it. Now, I know every time we have Christmas, we have beautiful ornaments. We have a star that illuminates like uh, Superman's home, uh, the the little ice home, if if you're old enough to remember that. But we have all poinsettias. We have the beauty of Christmas, and yet we wouldn't need Jesus. God wouldn't have had to send his son Jesus if there wasn't the destination of hell waiting for his people. So we have to look at sin. Three disastrous sins that Jesus saves us from. Number one, uh, Jesus saves us from sin's penalty. The the penalty for our sin. Now I want to move to uh, another New Testament text. Turn with me to John chapter 3. And as you turn to, go ahead, you guys have your Bibles. I should hear this. Uh, John chapter 3, while you're turning, I want to tell you another Old Testament story. This comes from Numbers chapter 21. I know most of you uh, spent most of your devotional time this week in Numbers, so you'll understand this story. Um, but God, God's people uh, have been delivered. They were in slavery under Pharaoh for 435 years. Wrap your mind around that, okay? They didn't have a bad week. 
They didn't have a bad month. It wasn't a difficult year. 435 years of slavery, and God delivers them by means of Moses, and they're en route to uh, a promised land. And if you're new to the Bible and new to these stories, the promised land was just that. It was just a plot of land, if you would, rather large, but a plot of land set aside for God's people. It would provide for them. It would protect them. It was beautiful. It was everything that God intended. It was set aside for them, and they're on their way. They're all walking or riding on a donkey or getting dragged behind the donkey, but they're on their way. And as they're on their way, they begin to do something that is just so much fun to listen to. They what? They complain. How many of you have heard a complaint this week? Maybe from your kid, maybe from your spouse, maybe from yourself. You you know this, like if you want to keep a record, the most complaining you'll probably hear in a week is from yourself. Isn't that interesting? But kids, uh, we love you. Um, And so complaining, right? So complaining begins. It starts out this, they're walking. And if you've ever been on a hike, some of you live here in Colorado, but you never hike, which I think is unbelievably odd. But if you go on a hike and you're walking, you get tired. You get thirsty. And so the people begin to cry out and they're like, God, it was so much better back in slavery because they gave us water. And so they begin to complain. So God says, okay, no problem. I'll give you some water, but I'm not just going to give you water because I'm God. I can do this kind of things. So I'll give you water out of a rock. How many of you have done that this week? None of you, okay? So you're not that cool. So he gives the people water out of a rock. And oh my gosh, thank you, God, thank you. And then they say, oh, well, we, now we're, we have water, so we're not thirsty anymore. But man, we're starting to get a little hungry. It's exhausting walking. So God says, no problem, I'm gonna give you manna. And so manna begins to fall from the heavens and they go out with barrels to pick up all of this manna bread. But they begin to channel their Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And they go, manna, manna, manna. It's too much manna. We have it every morning. We have it every lunch. We have it every uh, dinner. Imagine if you had the same meal every single day for years. Mac and cheese, mac and cheese, mac and cheese. Some of you like Chase, you'd be down with that. But the rest of you like, I don't want mac and cheese. So they begin to complain about manna. And so God says, okay, then I'll give you quail. You wanted water, I gave you water. You wanted food, I gave you food. But that's not good enough, so I'll give you quail. And if you've ever had quail, uh, there's not much meat on the bones. There's not much to it. And if you don't have something that they began to complain about, then it doesn't taste very good. And that is, they began to complain about seasoning. And they say, well, God, this is great. You gave us water, and you gave us manna, and you gave us quail, but the quail doesn't taste very good. We want some seasoning to go with that. And then they begin to complain about their enemies, and they complain about Moses and his leadership, and maybe which way they're going. They come to a forest and Moses says, let's go left. And the crew goes, hey, we wanted to go right. He can do nothing right. And then they shift, which becomes blasphemy. They begin to complain to God about God, about what he's doing. They say, oh, life was so much better back then. And God and Moses, for that matter, get fed up with the complaining. Now, a hundred years, hundreds of years later, Jesus retells this encounter from Numbers 21. He tells the story again, if you would, in John chapter 3, and then he applies it to himself as an analogy. So before that, let me finish the story. God gets tired of their belly aching. 
They're complaining. Nothing but complaining. Parents, use this if your kids complain. God says, you've complained enough. I'm going to send venomous snakes because I'm sick and tired of listening to you. So next time you kids are complaining that like, hey, are we there yet? And I don't want to go to that restaurant again. And she's touching me. And, and I don't know. Like God sends venomous snakes. And he says, now I'm not going to just send them venomous snakes, but they're going to start biting you because I'm sick and tired of listening to you complain. So these snakes begin to slither around. How many of you are deathly afraid of snakes? Like if you saw one in your chair right now, you'd scream. Okay, so picture that. There's just snakes everywhere, like snakes on a plane. They're just everywhere, right? And they're biting these people that are traveling with Moses and people begin to die left and right. Everyone that gets bit, it's a deathly venom, and they're dead. Just people keeling over left and right. So don't complain. It's the theme of the message. Let's pray. So the people go to Moses, and they say, our bad. No more complaining. Can you please go to God, make things right between us and God, fix this, because we can't keep having everyone die from these snake bites because we were complaining. Moses goes with God. God says, no problem. I will provide a hope. I will provide a cure. I will provide a way for the people not to die from the snake bites anymore. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back home. I want you to create, uh, craft a bronze head of a snake, and I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to put it in the middle of town as tall as it can be so that everyone can see it. And as soon as someone's bit by a snake, if they're a bellyacher, they get bit by that snake, I want you to tell them all they have to do is look to this snake head and they'll be healed. I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you a way not to die from these snake bites. And then Jesus retells this story hundreds of years later. And he says that he himself is like the bronze snake. John chapter 3, starting at verse 14, says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then we have our beloved verses that we've at least been familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to actually save the world through him. You see, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus says that the story of the snake-bit people is an analogy for hope. Scripture tells us that like the snake bites, our sin is punishable by death. We're going to die. Like the people in, in Moses' day, a solution was actually given. An antidote was given for the death of the snake bite. Basically, it said, if you look to the snake, Moses run around saying, if you just look to the snake and, and you get bit by one of these snakes, if you look to the snake, you're going to be healed. And Jesus says, look, you are going to die if you don't look to me. I, I'm the way that you're able to survive this. There's a similar 
offer. If you look to the snake, you will live. If you look to Jesus, you will live. And there were some, unfortunately, who said, I'm not looking at that stupid snake on a pole. And they turned away from it, and they died. They resisted, they rejected the solution. They rejected the hope. They rejected the way to live. And there has been, and there is now, and there always will be people in our lives who say, I'm not looking to Jesus. That's stupid. I'm not looking to the church. That's stupid. And they will turn away from the church. They will turn away from Jesus. They will turn away from the Son of Man being lifted up so that all could see. And they will die. And Jesus is painting this picture before he goes on to the beautiful verse that we see at football games. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's bigger than that. You see, it's not the rejection of Jesus that kills. It's the sin that Jesus offers to heal that kills. Are you with me? It's the snake bite. It's the sin that brings about condemnation. That's what John chapter 3 says. Jesus is just the only hope who can help heal and save. So don't sit by, especially if you're a student, but, but for us as adults as well, don't sit by and let people go, hey, all Jesus does is condemn. If I don't believe in him, then he judges me and therefore I go to hell. Like I don't want anything to do with that type of, quote, religion. I don't want anything to do with that church belief that if I don't believe in your Jesus, that he then gets angry with me and then sends me to hell. It's a wrong way of looking at it. It's a different paradigm. What it is, what the Bible says, you're already condemned to hell. Jesus is just the only way to help save you from it. Jesus doesn't come into the world and says, hey, I'm going to walk around, follow me, or you're dead. Well, I don't know about that, Jesus. All right, you're dead. Jesus doesn't walk around and judge like that. He says, you're dying. I'm the only way for you to be saved. I'm the only way for you to be healed from this. Just like back in Numbers 21, Moses is running around going, please, I'm begging you, look to the snake. God says, if you'll just, I know you've got that bad wound, but if you just look to the snake, you're going to be healed. You'll have hope. You'll survive this. And probably countless of his loved ones say, no, thank you. I'm not looking at some stupid snake. And here's a reality of what we live in. We have loved ones, family members, neighbors, co-workers that have been bit by a snake, and we're quiet. We're not running around saying, look to Jesus, trust me. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but trust me, look to Jesus. He's the only way you're going to be healed from this. And they go, I don't know. And you and I, we sit back, and by us being quiet, we are allowing our loved ones to go to hell. 
We have an answer. We have an antidote. We have the way to have life. But we sit back with our friends and neighbors and coworkers and loved ones, and we don't say a word. And by those actions, you and I say, I'm okay with them going to hell. I hope that makes you uncomfortable. I hope that hurts. Because it's not our job to create a really fun holy huddle up here at the church and enjoy our Christmas season and our Christmas cookies and our coffee and our comfy chairs and sing some Christmas songs. By you and I being quiet and not saying a word to those around us, we know where they're going and our actions by being silent say we're okay with that. When in reality, we have the ability to share the name of Jesus, that is hope, that is Yeshua, that is the Lord saves from the penalty that comes from sin. You see, it's love. It's not judgment that's found in that. It's love that causes Jesus to come and care for and save his people. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. Uh, it's in the T section if you want help with that. They're all together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, all of those are there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 4. It says this, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all Men. God wants all people of every nation, of every kind, of every background to understand and know him so that they can be saved. He doesn't hand select. He doesn't set aside those who he prefers and those who he doesn't. He desires for all to come to this saving antidote, for all to look to the snakehead, if you would, so that they can be saved from sin. That's Christmas. And again, I'll go back to our original preface. This is not a very popular Christmas message, but we cannot talk about Christmas if we don't identify why Christmas had to come. And Christmas had to come because there is a penalty for sin. And it's not only a punishment like, hey, you got to go walk stairs, which is what I do with my kids, or you got to go sit in timeout, or you got to go pick up uh, dog poop, or whatever, whatever you discipline your kids. The penalty is death. That's the Christmas story. That's what should cause us to sing at the top of our lungs that we don't get that penalty anymore. But sadly, there will be those who say, I'm going to try my way. I'm going to try a different way. Jesus comes to save us from sin's penalty. Number two, he comes to save us from sin's power. Sin's power. Turn with me to Titus, which is two more books to your right. Titus chapter two. And while you're turning there, our team will cut the lights. Ready? One, two, three. Look at that. It's amazing. This is a picture of 
George Washington crossing the Delaware. It's a famous oil painting from 1852. How many of you are familiar with seeing this at some point in your life? It's famous because of the uh, power that it depicts. It's 1776 when things were not going very well for America. Let's face it. We're struggling under British tyranny. There's little food. There's little shelter. It's not looking like the war is going to go our way and things are, are not good. What's interesting about this photo is that historians love to point out all of the inaccuracies. That it, It's certainly known for its power, but it's probably more notable for people pointing out things that aren't necessarily true in that, for instance, the flag did not exist like this in 1776. Did you guys know that? The flag did not look like this until June 14th of 1977. People who know about boats know that no way would that boat float with that many people in it. <laughs> Impossible. The sun is coming up through the clouds, which is really pretty for the painting, but it's interesting because Washington and his crew crossed the Delaware in the dead of night. There's chunks of ice, as, as you see those number five, you'll see several chunks of ice, and what's interesting about that, if you know the Delaware, uh, never would there be chunks of ice. It does not freeze over like that, and yet we have huge chunks of ice. It was actually raining the night that Washington crossed the Delaware, but probably wouldn't be a very beautiful painting with just rain falling and them looking disgusting. And if Washington had actually stood up like this, he most likely would have capsized the boat. No general would have stood up like that with that many people on the Delaware where there aren't chunks of ice and sun shining through in the dead of morning. Why? Because it didn't happen. Despite these inaccuracies, this painting is powerful. This painting is famous because this painting is significant. It marks the beginning of the tyranny being defeated. This surprise attack is going to lead to victories in Trenton and Princeton. This attack is going to change everything. This is the beginning of the tyranny of power being broken. This is the beginning of a new day. That's why it's famous. For the Christ follower, it's the picture of Christ standing outside his tomb where death has been defeated. That changes everything. Death and the resurrection of Jesus saves us from uh, the penalty of sin, but it also provides us rescue from the power of sin, or if you would, the tyranny of sin, the oppression of sin. You are saved from sin ruling you. It's lifted. It's broken. God wins that. So that's bigger than just eternity in heaven with God. That is you being broken from the power that overcomes you here and now. Students need to hear this. 
unbelievably need to hear this. That that sense power over you when you feel like you can't make the right decision, when you can't when you feel like you can't make the right choice, that there's so many temptations that the power of Jesus says you are saved from that oppression over you. And we just gotta channel into that and live that way. Let's go to Titus again, chapter two, starting at Verse 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, it's not just a saving from the penalty of sin, it's saving from the power of sin. So my question this morning is, do you see evidence of that? Even if they're small, do you see evidence that God is saving you from the power of sin that overcomes you? A great way to see it, a great way to analyze it is go, am I different today than I was a month ago? Is Jesus reshaping me? Is he saving me from that power? Am I different today than where I was a year ago? If the answer is no, sin continues to have power over you. But if, if Jesus is working in your life and he's delivered you from the penalty and he's delivering you from the power, then things begin to fall off of us. We will never be perfect. We will never be angelic. We will never be ready for heaven until Jesus says we are and we walk into heaven's gates. But are things beginning to fall off of you? Is pride falling off of you? Is anger falling off of you? Is judgment beginning to fall off of you? Is criticalness being critical of others? Is that beginning to fall off of you? Is lust falling off of you? That is the mark of Jesus saving you from sin's power. That affects us today. That's not just an eternity thing. That's a, a God is reshaping us to be the, the man or woman he wants us to be. And trust me when I'm saying this, you are better the way God wants you than the way you want you. Trust him, not yourself. Does that mean it's easy? Well, let me ask you. Is it easy to be called on your stuff? I've never enjoyed it. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it's that sanctification process, that ongoing process of the huge message of hope of Christmas is that the power that has tentacles on you is being ripped off every day. And God's fighting on your behalf. He's for you. He's with you. Number three, and finally, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves, comes to save us from sin's presence. From the presence of sin. I want you to again think of your favorite place in the world. Just think about it right now. And I want to say my place is better than yours. And 
I'm cheating a little bit because mine is not of this world. It's heaven. And I want to describe to you what it is and what it isn't. I want you to key on what's not going to be there. Sometimes we can think of all the greatness that's going to be there. I don't know why, but we think we're all going to be dressed in white. Forever. And if you think that's awesome, maybe we can start that next week. We just all dress in white and we'll see how long we love that. But we have these ideas of what heaven is going to be. I want you to key in on what's not going to be in heaven. Verse 3 of chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with uh, a dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jump with me to verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, that does include card tricks, uh, the idolaters and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who ever does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those who are names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here's the question. What will be in the new heaven and the new earth? And what will not be in the new heaven and the new earth? There will not be death, mourning, tears, cowardly actions, vileness, murderers, shamefulness, deceit, sexually impure, magic doers, idolaters, liars. In other words, no one who's a sinner will be there. So you say, well, wait a second, I'm a sinner. Uh, there's a problem here. Like, if no sinners are there, I'm, I'm pretty confident of my sin, so what does that do for me? There's a great and sobering and powerful realization when we realize our own sin. But you see, there are sinners who are saved, truly been bit by the snake, but they are saved because they looked to the hope, they looked to that which was raised up in the middle of all the people. They took hold of the antidote. They took hold of that which saves. And then there will be sinners who say, no, thank you. At best, no, thank you. And they say, I don't want to look to that Jesus. And so instead of looking to the cross and looking to Jesus and the message for hope and saving and salvation, they will turn and they will walk away. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, 
you are going to live in a new heaven and a new earth in which sin and everything that comes with it is banished. You know, one of, one of the ways that will make you so aware of the brokenness and the power of sin in this world is prayer. When you're praying for people who are hurting, you're praying for people who are sick, you're praying for those who have lost, you're praying for peace, you're praying for a marriage to be saved. Prayer reminds us that we really do need Jesus. And not only will we be saved from the penalty of sin or the power of sin, we'll be saved from its presence. Because when you're around sin, it's, it's dirty, it's dark, it's unhappy, and it's, it's not Christmas, but it is. And so Jesus comes and says, I'm going to save you from even being in sin's presence. And Paul says that literally the earth is groaning because of sin's presence. That our beautiful mountains, all of creation is groaning because sin and darkness and corruption is not good. I'll give you some examples of how our world is groaning because of sin's presence. Last year, there were over 800 natural disasters. This last week, Sandy and I had one of the hardest weeks we've ever had um, as our hometown in Ventura has almost burnt to the ground. They're now saying upwards to 400 homes where, where we lived are gone. Sandy and I have literally lost track of how many friends have lost everything. Home, cars, possessions, computers, clothing, everything. And every day there's a new name, there's a new family, there's a, it's, it's just being destroyed. And that's just one little town in California, but all around the world, there are natural disasters. Poor sanitation kills a child every 20 seconds. That just breaks my heart. Lack of food kills a child every 10 seconds. Every 10 seconds. Over 3 million of those a year. Cancer kills approximately 8.2 million people a year. Just cancer and it's growing. There's a divorce every 36 seconds. And I could go on and on and on on how our world is groaning because sin is present. Even your world, I, I know your stories, I know your world, I, I know the 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 hopelessness and the darkness that's found in your world as people around you are hurting and broken. This, this world, the presence of sin ruins everything, which is why we have to talk about it because it's the reason for Christmas to come and make that right. 
because the Bible says that the light has come. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that, that a light has come in the midst of darkness to its people to guide them. That is Jesus. That is Yeshua. That is the Lord saves. And even though there is darkness, I, I almost started crying during that, that song, and I don't remember uh, wh which one it is, but it says something like, uh, even in the fire. Or, um, Yes, alive in you. Thank you. I took a picture of that because I, it brought me to all my friends who are losing everything. Even in the fire, I am with you. I'm alive in you. Whatever she said. <coughs> and the Bible says that all of what we see is not going to happen. It's not going to last that the groans of the world isn't going to last because Christmas is coming and the hope of Jesus coming again is coming. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for a world where sin and its power and its penalty and its presence is banished from the world that I live in. I can't wait for that day when there are no more tears, when no more kids get sick. When no more kids die because they have terrible sanitation and where there's stupid cancer. Cannot wait for that day. See, Mary and Joseph were told to give their boy the name Jesus. The Lord saves because he will save them from their sins. It is so much more than just a get into heaven card, friends. Are you being saved daily from the tyranny, from the oppression of, of sin? Are you looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth where all that garbage doesn't exist? That's the meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Christ, God the King with us. That he's for us and that he's with us. And Jesus, he is the one who saves and I, my hope is that you're taking this and allowing it to guide your outlook going into Christmas. That's what causes us to sing these songs. That's what causes us to rejoice because it is so much bigger than what we normally just wrap our, our eyes around and that is a baby born in a manger that's gonna come and live and die and raise again and we get to go to heaven. It is so much more than that. So would you please stand as we pray and We'll head into this time of worship. Uh, again, we're studying these names, and um, I hope and pray it's shedding more light for you. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning, the name of Jesus, the name that saves, the name that has power, the name that has the ability to bring presence of hope, presence of love, presence of peace, presence of joy in a world that's dark. We need that light so badly. And so please come and, and meet us where we are and that throughout the week we would be cognizant of that, that we'd be aware of your presence and that which you want to speak to us. So I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fluidness and the continuity of scripture that all points to the hope and the healing of Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Uh, what a beautiful name.